All right. Well, it is a new year. Did anybody set New Year's resolutions this year? No, I think, like, I feel like that ship has sailed. I think the pandemic finally did it in, you know. Everybody was already getting kind of cynical about it to start with because it's like, you know, we, there's the whole trope about you don't make it three weeks into your New Year's resolutions. And so I think that that ship has somewhat sailed. But it is a good idea for us to be able to take some time at the beginning of a new year and look at what we want to see God do in the year to come. Now, as we talk about planning and things like that as a church, you know we always talk about planning in pencil because not a single one of us has any idea or any real control over what happens in life, right? I mean, that, that's just how life is. We make plans. God knows what's actually going to happen. But as you're thinking through this, um, odds are your Christmas decorations are probably put away. We noticed how dark our lawn is because um, I... Given untold time and resources, I would be Clark Griswold. Um, I mean, I, I want this thing to be seen from space. Um, we're getting there a little bit at a time, but, but you know, we pulled all that up this week, and it's just kind of dark and dim. But over the last month, we've been talking about peace at Christmas. So as we're diving into 2023, which is, doesn't roll off the tongue as well to me as 2022 did. 2023, as we're diving in this year, what I want us to do is take one last look at this idea of peace that we've been talking about through Christmas. Now, if you've been with us during our series, we've been defining peace as larger than what we typically think. Most of the time when you and I think about peace, we think about two main factors. Number one is inner tranquility, right? The idea that, you know, my mind is still, my heart is not restless, that's inner peace. We also think about the idea of, of outward peace in that there's no conflict, like we're praying, praying for peace in Ukraine this year and peace in other places around the globe, like Ethiopia, that are experiencing civil war. So as we're praying for peace, often we think about either inner tranquility or an absence of conflict, you know, peace in our home that we'll get along with our spouses or our kids will get along with us or whatever the case may be. As we think through that, though, we've been defining peace as something broader than that. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not simply that inner tranquility or the absence of conflict. The Bible describes peace as this idea of human flourishing, okay? Now, that's a weird word. Uh, we don't use it very often, but it, it helps encapsulate what we really believe the Bible teaches us about peace. So peace is not just not fighting with somebody or not just not feeling conflicted. The peace that God gives also includes the idea of joy, of hope, of purpose, of all of the abundance of life with Christ. So here's what I want for you this year. I want you to flourish this year. I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive. I want that for your marriage, for your kids, for your family, for us as a church. I want us to thrive and flourish this year. Now, here's the problem when I say that. What was the picture that just came in your mind about what that would look like? You see, all of us have different ideas and different pictures in our heads about what flourishing would look like. You know, if you're a college student, you're thinking, man, if I can just make it to graduation and if I'm going to be able to land a job in this crazy market, I mean, that, that would be flourishing for me. Maybe there's a relationship that's strained and you think, man, flourishing for me this year would be for us to finally get back to health in our marriage or in, in our, our relationship to this child that I'm estranged from that's grown up and moved away and I haven't talked to. And, and man, if, if that would just, that'd be flourishing. For some of you, it, it's more practical. It's, you know, if, if I could just get to this level in my retirement accounts, 
If I could have this house, if I could have this, this stability, if I, I could reach this point in my job or this promotion, or if I could get through this health issue, that, that would be flourishing for me. Well, here's what I want us to do this morning. In and of those themselves, I doubt any of those things are bad. It's not bad to have a healthy marriage. That's actually a wonderful thing. It, it's not bad to enjoy God's resources as he provides them. That's not a bad thing. However, what I want us to do this morning is take a look at what the Bible describes as the flourishing life and see how God defines it. So that as we do, what we're going to see is that flourishing and thriving in life is living the God-directed life. In fact, if, if you had write anything else down this morning, this is what I'd encourage you to think about. Thriving in 2023 is going to be living a God-directed now, to see that, we're going to go to Psalm 1. This is a passage, if you've been with us, I've been here pastor for 12 years now, you've seen this one before. Uh, we've gone over it a few different times. In fact, uh, for the few brave, intrepid souls who came out the last Sunday of 2020, um, you would have seen this. We talked about this over video. Uh, I hate preaching on video. It's terrible. Um, but we did it. So what I want us to do, though, this morning is in light of what we've been talking about with peace, I want us to turn over to Psalm chapter 1 and take a look at what the Bible describes as the flourishing life. All right, so if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you, there's one in the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black book. Psalms is kind of in the middle of the Bible, so you, if you kind of open it up to the middle, you should be fairly close. Uh, Psalm 1 is going to be the very first one there, and it's, I could give you the page number on my Bible, but it's not going to help you on yours, okay? So as we sit here, what I want you to do is I want you to, to, add, to take what you think a flourishing year would look like. And I want you to be willing to surrender that to what God says it really means to flourish in 2023. So what I, I guess as we look at this, there's kind of two main thoughts on that. One, I want you to commit to figuring out what it looks like to have God direct your life. And then two, I, I want you to redefine thriving in the way that God looks at it, okay? So to get a, a picture of this, let's go ahead and read the first three verses of this psalm. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its seasons, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, we're going to explain all of these things as we go through. We're going to try to, at least, make a valiant attempt at it. But as we look at this, it starts off with a very attention-grabbing kind of phrase, doesn't it? How happy is the one who? Some of your translations may say, blessed is the one who. Now, that's kind of the more traditional way of, of translating it, but Jonathan Pennington, who wrote a book called, uh, called The Sermon on the Mountain, Human Flourishing, it's one that I've been referencing often throughout the last few weeks. Pennington makes a distinction. There's two different Old Testament words that mean bless. One word means that I bless you, like you see uh, Jacob blessing his children, you know, or uh, that when the priest would pronounce a blessing over the people, or God blesses somebody when they do this. That it's kind of an active way in which God blesses you. The other word is one that has the idea of blessing, but instead of it being that God blesses you when you do this, it's this is a reflection of the blessed kind of life. This is the reflection of the flourishing life that God's created you to live. The New Testament equivalent to that, by the way, is the Beatitudes. When you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, those first blessed are the peacemakers, it's not that you will be blessed if you make peace. 
It's ones who are living a kingdom-oriented, God-centered life are going to be peacemakers. So it's a little bit of a different nuance because when we read this and say, oh, so I'll be blessed if I do this. So if I read my Bible, God's going to bless me. That means that God's going to give me what I want if I read my Bible. And that's how we usually will, will reduce it down. Now, what he's saying here is the flourishing life, true happiness, true satisfaction and joy is found in living the God-directed life. Now, there's three different components to that that we're going to look at, and hopefully it'll make more sense as we go along if it's confusing. Um, if, if it's still confusing, uh, you can email me at that info at christiansburgbaptist.org on the back of the bulletin there if you've got one, and we'll go out for coffee this week, Okay. But at the beginning, let's start off. The first thing that we need to do if you and I are going to flourish in 2023 and live this God-directed life is, number one, reject ungodly advice. Reject godless advice. Go back and read verse one again. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now, this is interesting because to live a flourishing, thriving life we first need to recognize that there are a lot of ideas out there about how to live, and we need to reject most of them. You see, in our culture, we're in a pluralistic society that says you need to find your truth. You need to to figure out what's best for you, and you need to live out your truth. So the flourishing life, the way that our culture defines it, is you being who you think you need to be. The disnification of this is follow your heart, right? You just, you know, you become whatever you want to be. You, you define your own reality. You are the, the master of your fate. You figure it out on your own. That's actually godless advice. See, as we look at this this morning, it, this is going to push us back very hard against the culture. And although some of you may be sitting there saying, yeah, well, I watch Fox News. I don't buy into all that kind of wokeness or whatever. But whatever the thing is you may be thinking, the reality is any advice we're receiving from those who don't know Christ, has the potential to draw us away from who God called us to be. I don't care which side of the political spectrum. I don't care who it is. If they're not surrendered to Christ, the advice they give may be very wrong. I say may because God gives common grace. In other words, the idea is uh, there are certain things that God has allowed us all to figure out are good or bad. So sometimes things that that people who don't know God may say may be right. They may be helpful even. But the root advice, the core of who we are, the, the thing that defines who our life is, cannot be based off of godless advice. Okay? Now, again, that pushes back against our culture because our culture says, no, you just follow your heart. Do whatever you think is best. Or, you know, maybe you found somebody like Jordan Peterson. And you're like, man, this guy's got it knocked down. And so I'm going to follow Jordan Peterson and his advice and his 12 rules for life and, and just go for it. Well, Jordan Peterson hits on some good things at times, but the reality is he doesn't know Christ. So at the root, his system is flawed. There's all kinds of guys out there. YouTube has made it where anybody with about a thousand bucks can get a really nice setup that will allow you to, to be, get them out in public and they'll tell you anything that they can to sell stuff. It's easy. In our world, we have to reject that kind of godless advice. Why? Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it's death. There's a way that seems right, but its end is the way to death. We went over to somebody's house last night that we'd never been to. I had been to the neighborhood. I knew the street. And as I went, I turned up first. I turned up the wrong street, one too soon. 
I was like, ah, oh, wait, nope, it was the next street down. Then I pulled into the driveway. The driveway was suspiciously dark. There were lights on, but they were in the back of the house. No porch lights, no garage door open to let you in through the side door. It just didn't seem like a very hospitable welcome for folks whose house we'd never been to. Well, you know what we figured out? We wrote the address down wrong. We had 1190. They lived at 1195. So we pulled into some random person's driveway, and thankfully we figured it out. Because, like the, the scene just didn't read right, so we got back and looked at the text message like, ah, that's what it was. See, I was going the wrong way. I had the wrong advice. We had it written down wrong, and so that's going to lead me the wrong place. And in the same kind of way, godless advice is going to lead us the wrong direction, no matter how many followers they have on TikTok or how many subscribers on their YouTube channel or how many people tune into their cable news show, whatever it is, if it's not following Christ, we need to be willing to reject it. See, he gives us an interesting progression here. He says, first, that we don't walk in the advice of the wicked. When the Bible uses the term walk, it's using the idea of the way we conduct our lives. Most of us walk most places except for like my son who has one speed, it's on and it's fast. He doesn't walk anywhere. But as we walk, that, it's the idea of how we conduct our lives. And it starts with walking in the advice of sinners. Now, the idea here is of conducting our life the same way that people who don't know Jesus do. However, notice that you're walking, which implies that you're not fully involved. You're kind of flirting with it. You can take somebody's advice without staying with them. But then there's a progression because it says not only do we walk in the advice of the, winner, the wicked, then it turns around to standing in the pathway with sinners. Now we're not just walking by that advice. We're starting to sit around and listen for a little bit. Huh, that's interesting. We're starting to take more stock in it. Here, we've slowed down a notch. You're not just walking by. You're stopping to listen. You're standing there, which means you're starting to identify with those who don't follow Jesus. And then, if we're not careful, we find ourselves sitting in the company of mockers. Here, you're fully invested. You're sitting down. You're joining those who don't know Jesus, and you're even going so far as to openly mock him. Do you realize that? That's the progression, guys. We start with, well, I, I like what this guy's got to say. And if we don't submit that to Christ, then we start saying, you know, I, I think I want to start patterning my life after this guy. And, and then before too much longer, we're like, you know, he's right. I don't, I don't need Jesus. I can do this. If you're going to live a flourishing life this year, you have to reject godless advice. Now, as we do that, did you notice that the description of those who don't know Jesus gets stronger every time? By the time we're fully bought into the system, we're actively mocking God. We're saying, God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you've done. I don't need you. I can do this. That's where godless advice leads us. Now, if you and I are going to thrive, we've got to reject it. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Like I said, sometimes... Uh, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? Or a broken clock is right twice a day. In the same kind of way, those who don't know Christ because of common grace, God allows them to find truth sometimes. So we have to develop discernment that says, you know what? This may be okay, but, but what they're actually driving at, the way that they're calling me to live, that's not okay in, in, its, in its root and its core. We've got to actually 
think critically about what we're reading or what we're watching or what we're seeing. All of these things, we've got to actually give it thought, and, and, and that's hard work. How do you know what's godless advice? How do I know? I mean, because this guy's really popular, and hey, here's the scary part. On YouTube, there's a lot of guys out there who claim to speak for Jesus, and they're wrong, dead wrong but they've got a microphone and a camera and they talk with big fancy words and they've got degrees and letters after their name and it sounds really convincing. So how on earth am I supposed to know what's right? How do I know what I have to reject? Well, that's the second part we see. Not only do I have to reject godless instruction, that means that I then have to embrace God's instruction. I have to embrace God's instruction. See, that's how we start figuring out what's wrong. Instead of joining in with those who reject and mock God, we need to devote ourselves to what God says. If you notice, there's two different phrases in this verse, and each one gives us a slightly different picture. Look there at verse two. He says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. His delight is in the Lord's instruction. So what is this telling us to do? Then, well, if we're gonna have a thriving life, it's got to be marked by a love for what God says. In one sense, this is learning to love the Bible. This is learning to love how God has revealed himself to us. Now, we don't worship the Bible. I've heard uh, folks from other denominations accuse Baptists of having a trinity that's the Father, Son, and Holy Bible instead of Holy Spirit. The reason that we want to study this is because this is how God has revealed himself. This is what God has given us as the tool to guide us, to show us what's right, to show us who he is so that we can know the God who spoke through his word. That, that's why we're studying the Bible and dividing ourse- devoting ourselves to it because we want to know how the God who made us has called us to live. We delight in his instruction. Now, if you think about it, how many of you would say, I love getting advice? Anybody? I love it when somebody corrects me. Boy, there are a few things in this world that I love more than some random person coming up and telling me what I ought to be doing. There's a part of us that just, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up just thinking about it, right? Let's put it in a different context. Um, so several years ago, about six years ago, I started working out at the gym. Now, the last time I had been in a gym, well, okay, so I went to, through high school gym, which, you know, you'd learn nothing in that. Then uh, I went one time with a friend of mine who played Division II baseball at, at Wingate University. He took me to the gym with him once. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I hurt like the Dickens for days. It was ridiculous. I had no idea how to work out. I had this unique privilege when I first started working out of actually having one-on-one personal training from qualified guys who actually knew what they were talking about. So when I would walk into the gym, I had no clue how to do anything. I had, no, I had no idea what a back, like somebody asked me one time, they, are you doing back squats or front squats? I was like, I'd never done a deadlift. I had no idea what any of that was. So when I walk in the gym, these guys say, hey, Sean, here's what we're doing today. Sean, here's the weights that you need. All right, now watch, when you went down, you got to watch this because th- this was a little bit out of alignment. That's going to hurt you if you don't come along with that. Now, I really wanted to get stronger. I wanted to get more fit. I wanted to be able to enjoy that. So when these guys gave me correction and feedback, I welcomed that because I wanted to get stronger. I didn't want to hurt myself. The whole reason I was in the gym was because I'd thrown my back out a couple years before that. You see, I loved their instruction. Now, there were times where I was like, I got this. 
telling guys that played football at Virginia Tech that I know better than they do how to lift, right? It's, but in that moment, I embraced their instruction. Some of you might have actually had a, a good piano teacher who, who sat down and you wanted to learn to play. And so you may have hated the scales he had to do sometimes or the theory exercises, but, but you wanted to hear it because you knew you wanted to get better at the piano. Or maybe you had a, a teacher in a particular class, maybe you'd been struggling in math and you had that one math teacher who finally convinced you that you weren't as bad at math as you thought you were. You, you, you know, it wasn't always easy, but, but you loved when they taught you because it finally made sense. That's the idea of delighting in God's instruction. What could be more important for us to learn than how to live? How to conduct ourselves? How, how to get ourselves ready for what God's doing in eternity? How to honor the God who created us? What could possibly be more important than that? And who's more qualified to teach us than the God who made us? the God who's in charge over all of the universe. Nobody's got a better degree than him. Nobody's got more experience than God. So, so then why shouldn't I go to God's word with joy, delighting in the fact that God's teaching me who I need to be and who he is and all that he's done for me? That should cause me to delight in God's instruction. So a thriving life is me delighting in what God's told me is he's called me to do, right? Delighting in God's instruction, delighting in his word. By the way, you know what he doesn't say there? He doesn't say anything about health. He doesn't say anything about your financial status. He doesn't say anything about any of that. No, the flourishing life, the happy one, is the one who's rejecting godless advice and instead embracing God's instruction. He's delighting in it. Not only is he delighting in it, the second thing you see there is that we're dwelling in God's instruction. He said, on his law, he meditates on it day and night. Now, again, our culture has kind of messed up the idea of meditation. There's kind of two main ideas that, that pop into somebody's head when they hear it. That first, you think the Eastern meditation where you're sitting in the lotus position and you're, and you're chanting something, you know, and, and you're trying to empty your mind and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the other idea would be the mindfulness meditation that's become popular in recent days about, you know, quieting your breathing and focusing on your breathing and stillness in your body and things like that. While that kind of mindfulness is helpful in the midst of chaotic situations, that's not what the Bible means when it means meditate. Meditate is dwell on it. Think about it. Chew on it for a while. How many of you have ever had raw sugar cane? Anybody ever done sugar cane? Okay. That's one of the least satisfying experiences in the world to me because it's so much work and you pull this piece off and you start chewing it. If you've never had it, it's like, look at the bamboo sticks you see and imagine trying to eat that. That's basically what sugar cane is. And as you're sitting there, you're just gnawing on it and you're gnawing on it and you're gnawing on it and you get this sweet like little jolt for like three seconds. And then it's just this pulp and you just sit there and chew it. And it's like chewing paper. It's like, I don't know. It's not much fun to keep chewing on. Some of you love to chew a good piece of gum. You know, some of you just you love that, ah, oh, it's just good. When we're talking about meditating on God's word, we're talking about chewing on it. We're talking about not just going through and reading the Bible real quick in the morning and say, yep, check that box off, but actually sitting there saying, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. I've never seen that before. I had that happen this week. I was finishing up the book of Genesis and I, I hit a passage where Jacob was blessing his sons, and, and as he did, he talked about the fact that Simeon and Levi's tribes would be scattered because they were so angry and rebellious. 
What's interesting is God did scatter the tribe of Levi around, but as he did, he gave their cities as cities of refuge. And there's a beautiful analogy for what he was doing there. I'd never noticed that. I'm sure that I should have. I mean, I've read it a billion times, it feels like. But meditating on God's word is stopping and thinking about it. Meditating is doing what we're doing with this verse. Like, look, you know, if you're sitting down to read your quiet time stuff and you're maybe trying to, through the Bible in a year plan, Psalm 1's on your list for today, okay? It says, the light and love, it's actually meditating on time, okay. So instead, look at verse two, right? Instead, his delight is on the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. All right, there's two phrases there. Slow down and say, well, what's he saying through that first phrase? What's he saying with the second phrase? So what's it mean to meditate on his law? What does it mean to delight in his instruction? What's he talking about? Actually take time to think about it. Write down what questions you have. We live in a world and a time where we have unprecedented access to good Bible resources, literally. Like there is no time in history that we've ever had access to all that we do. I have a program on my computer that's also on my phone that has thousands of dollars worth of books on it that I can search at any point in time to find out what people have thought from church history all the way to current time about a particular passage. Now, you don't necessarily need Logos's silver library. That's okay. But I would encourage you, think about getting Logos Bible software. If you like using the computer, um, Logos has a free account that you get a handful of references. I was looking, or resources, rather. I was looking at the resources. They're not all great, but they're not all terrible either. It'd be a great starting point for you. And the great thing about Logos is if you like using it, you can buy more books. You can buy good commentaries. You want recommendations? I can give you commentary recommendations. My favorite commentary set, just if, you, if you're interested in digging a little bit deeper, two-volume commentary set that is really good, a little bit more meat than a study Bible, is the Bible Knowledge Commentary Set from the guys at Dallas Theological Seminary. You can find it on Amazon. Um, it's two volumes. We've actually got a copy in the library if you want to look at the physical copy. Uh, it's, it's not... It's super extensive. It's not a critical commentary. Like I said, it's just a little bit more than a study Bible, and I usually agree with most everything they say. So there you go. There's your recommendation. Dwell in God's Word. Study it. Get to know it. Memorize it. Memorize what God says in the Word. Why? So that we can know Him better. So we're still faced with that question of what to do, right? The only way to know what God says is to read and study the Bible. We come back to this all the time because it's so incredibly vital. As we meditate on God's word, again, keep in mind that our goal is not just to acquire knowledge or to figure out some kind of secret. Our goal is to know the God who's made himself known in these pages, right? So if you make only one resolution this year or set only one goal, make it your goal to spend time every day in God's word. Now, I, I tell you, I'm in a place where through the Bible in a year plan doesn't work well for me. What I've done instead is I found a, a plan that's a five-year through the Bible in a year plan, and I was able to set it up in Logos undated. So that way, if I miss a day, if I, if I don't get through a passage on a day, if I get kind of bogged down and stuck in one, I don't know that I'm behind because it doesn't tell me, Right? Some of you, that, that's the problem is you, you've tried to use version or something like that for a reading plan and you get onto it. It's like, ah, I'm three days behind. No, you're not. You've got the rest of your life and all of eternity. So just keep going. It's okay. God's not gonna sit there in, in December and say, I cannot believe that you only made it through the first half of the New Testament, right? So how happy is the one who rejects godless advice and embraces God's instruction instead? Well, what's the outcome of that? Well, third thing that we see here is trust God's guidance. 
Trust God's guidance. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Jump down to verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. When we trust what God says, we lead a flourishing life. Again, we've got to let him define that. See, we get tripped up by that last phrase in verse 3, right? Whatever he does prospers. Oh, so, so if I love Jesus and I follow him, then that means I'm going to have the Midas touch and everything I touch is going to turn to gold. My business is going to go great. My finances are going to be perfect. My relationships, college is going to be a breeze. It's all going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be, as you graph it out, it's going to be up and to the right. That's not what he's saying here. Because prosperity in God's kingdom looks different than we define it. The best way I can describe it is to give you an illustration I've used before. Many of you know my dad used to own the hobby shop in downtown Blacksburg. That's where Chipotle is in downtown now, for those of you who don't know Blacksburg history, and that's okay. In the bottom floor, we used to sell pets. On the second floor, we used to sell hobby items. That was remote control train, cars, uh, train stuff, comic books, tabletop games, uh, card games, things like that. As my dad was walking with the Lord, there was a season where God convicted dad that some of the content of the comics and the tabletop games and the card games were not God-honoring. And so he was led that we needed to close down the hobby portion of the business. The other thing that God convicted him about at that same time was that we needed to close the store on Sunday. Now, back in those days in downtown Blacksburg, Sunday was the shopping day. That was our biggest day of the week financially because that's when all the students were less hungover and could come out during the day and actually shop. So closing on Sunday was a huge deal. Getting rid of the hobby component was a huge deal. You know where the hobby shop is now? It closed. It never financially recovered. My brother eventually, we transferred it over into Jonathan's name. Jonathan sold it a few months before it ended up closing. It was Zuquatic Pet Center there before it finally closed. But I thought... I thought if we did what God told us to, then whatever we did prospers, right? You know, the store closed. But my brother and I learned an incredibly valuable lesson about what it looks like to obey God when it's hard. My brother and I are both in full-time vocational ministry right now. We've both had the unique privilege of serving God in unique ways. The store doesn't matter. Even if that thing had gotten franchised and there were hobby shops all over the Southeast, it doesn't matter. To have a family who's following Christ for generations, that's prosperity. That's flourishing. Now, that doesn't look like what we would often think. And by the way, God in his goodness often gives us those things like health and happy marriages and jobs. And God often does that because he is so good and so gracious to us. But those things are not what defines a flourishing life. A flourishing life says, God, I'm rejecting what you say doesn't matter. And instead, I'm embracing the things that you say are important. And I'm going to trust you through it all. 
because you're the one who's directing my way, and I may never see why you called me to do that. I may never understand why this took place the way that it did, but I'm trusting that you're watching over my way. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. God, you see. God, you know. So as we delight and dwell on his instructions, we get to know him better. We reject advice that would pull us away from him and instead walk in his way. And as we do, we find a different kind of prosperity, a different kind of thriving and flourishing than what the world offers, that the goal is not something that's going to happen in our 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life. It's something that's going to carry on for all eternity as we have the privilege of honoring and serving the God who saved us forever. By the way, one day there will be a time when all of the conflict will cease. There will be a time when he brings his kingdom to bear in a full way and we'll be able to enjoy all of that forever. But in the meantime, we're trusting his guidance. That's how we flourish in 2023. You see, a lot of this today is focused on us and what we do. But remember that not a single bit of this is possible apart from Christ. The text says that God watches over the way of the righteous. I couldn't help but find it interesting because do you remember who Jesus said he is? John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't just watch over our way. He himself is our way. The way for the good life took Jesus to the cross so that he could provide a way for us to come to the Father. He endured the scorn of the mockers. He hung on the cross for the sinners, taking the jeers of the wicked so that you and I could thrive in his kingdom, so that you and I could have life and hope and joy. So, What are your dreams for 2023? I hope you thrive this year like never before as you seek to learn and live and grow in a God-directed life.